listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you will, in your Bibles or on your device, find your place in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to say how appreciative and thankful I am for the elders that we have at this campus. There's so much that they do that goes unnoticed behind the scenes, and there's such an encouragement to Clint and I as pastors here, and the way they're involved in people's lives and the way they lead to, to all of our elders. We are so thankful for them. So this morning, let's read together. I'll read for us, uh, picking up in verse 17 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. And hopefully we'll make it all the way through the end of this chapter today. So let me read this for us and then we will pray. It says, Now I say, in testifying the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to the practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created for the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth which is his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun sit down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And this is the word of the Lord. Let his saints hear. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, your word is now before us. It is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit. We pray as your word is read and then preached that your Holy Spirit would yield the sword of truth with great power and effect in our hearts, subduing and slaying sin and conforming us to the pattern and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom we pray, amen. So last week we began chapter 4 and it was all about this call of unity. 
Well, this week, this section, I would call this the, the call to purity. And here's how I broke down this passage. We're going to see really three main ideas today. We're going to see Paul talk about the old us. Then he's going to describe for us the, the new us. Or this is who we were, this is who we are now. And then he's going to give us some details into the new us in action. So let's look back at verse 17 and see how Paul describes the old us. This is who they were. Begins in verse 17 again saying, Now this I say. So these are Paul's words. But notice what he says. And testify in the Lord. So Paul is saying these are just not my opinions. These are not just beliefs that I came up with. That These are Christ's ideas. These are his thoughts that Paul is speaking on behalf of Christ. That Paul is speaking on his behalf. He's kind of saying don't shoot the messenger here. But he wants us to understand that these are the words Christ gave him for the Ephesians. And then he says that you may no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. Marlon, am I saying that right? Is that right? Futility? Okay, futility. I, I have a problem with words sometimes. Futility. But notice, he says, walk no longer as the Gentiles do. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, he said in the positive, walk in the manner worthy of your calling. To do this. And, and that calling, you remember, is something that we all share that we're all called to this idea of unity, of one now new humanity. And we're called to walk in that. But now he says, do not walk as the Gentiles do. Remember, there are uh, Jews and Gentiles that are sitting in this church listening to this letter being read. So what does he mean? He's describing them before they were saved. The unsaved Gentiles. And he says they're walking in the futility of, of their minds. And so what is Paul referring to? What's well, actually something that's used several times in Scripture. In fact, Romans 1. It tells us that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile, he says, in their thinking. Seven chapters later, Paul again says, For creation is subjected to futility, not willing, but because of Him, who subjected it in hope. Peter uses it in chapter 2 of the second book. He said, for speaking loud boast of folly, or that word is a fool or futility, and they're using this same word. And so what does it mean? He's describing something with no aim, no purpose, no goal, that's meaningless. He says this is how they were walking in this, this no purpose, no aim, this meaningless mindset. But what is interesting to me when I read through this is notice what Paul, when he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do. And I expect him to now describe all the ways that they are walking. But Paul doesn't do that. Because notice in your Bibles it doesn't say, hey, don't walk and worship like they are doing in the temple of Artemis. He doesn't say that. Remember in our intro, we talked about how the Angora and they would bring their unwanted children and leave them there. He doesn't say, don't do that. He doesn't say, don't follow the superstitions or the philosophies of the Gentiles. Notice how he says, don't walk. Do not walk in the futility of their minds. 
So before he ever talks about behavior, notice where Paul starts. Before he ever gets of what they're doing or not doing, he starts with their mind or their thinking. And so every week I always try to have this one idea that I could wrap all of this in. And this week I stole it. Stole it from a man named R.C. Sproul. This is what he said. If we do not have God in our minds, then we will not have God in our actions. They often said, physically you are what you eat, therefore spiritually you are what you think. But when I read this, I kind of feel sorry for these unbelieving Gentiles. That they're living lives of no purpose or no real purpose. No aim. They're absolutely meaningless lives. But then Paul describes this process that these Gentiles are, these unbelievers are caught up in. But as believers, this is something we need to also be aware of. Because look at verse 18. He's going to mention several things that that feed off of each other, that play into the other. Because notice he says, they are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. So notice he begins with this darkened in their understandings, that their minds had not yet received the revelation of who God is and what he has done. They were ignorant to that. They do not understand. They have not been revealed his word. Therefore, their understanding is darkened in that. I take that to mean we cannot expect people that do not know God to follow him. How can we expect someone that doesn't know him, how in the world they are to be able to follow him? But notice, when your understanding is darkness, it leads to something. It leads to a life that is alienated from the life of God. Meaning if someone's mind has not received the revelation of God, their understanding will be darkened about everything. Then they will be alienated or they are separate from the life that only comes from God. So a life of purpose and meaning, true meaning, and notice the reason, their hardness of their heart. Meaning there's this inability or this unwillingness to do or how to respond actually to God's truth. So they don't know it. They can't expect to do it. Even if they did, there's this unwillingness or this inability to respond to God's truth. And that right there, I think, is one of the greatest dangers we now as believers still face. It isn't maybe that we don't know what God wants or what he's calling us to, but it, it's an unwillingness to respond to that. So I think R.C. Sproul is absolutely right. If we do not have God in our minds, then we will not have God in our actions. But look at how their lives are now described in verse 19. They're callous. Greedy, filled with impurity. But notice verse 19 now with verse 18 side by side. So they're, they're callous, they're, they're greedy, they're filled with impurity. And why is that? You just read backwards. Because their hearts are hardened. 
Their hearts are hardened because they're alienated from the life of God. And they are alienated from the life of God because their understanding is darkened. Because if they do not have God in their minds, they will not have God in their actions. And Paul says, this was true of who you were. And some of them still. This is who they were. But then something happened. They met someone. Because there are those that responded to the gospel that met Jesus. And he now says you have a new identity. Because look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. I mean the philosophy is the Greek or falling the ways of the Gentiles. That's not how you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He says, when your old self met Jesus, something happened. And you heard about him, you were taught in him, and the truth is Jesus. And you see what Paul just said about Jesus, three things. You heard about him, you were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus. Meaning that Jesus is the subject of all truth. He is the teacher of all truth. And he is the owner of all truth. So because of who Jesus is. Because of what he has revealed and taught to us. Because he is the owner of all truth. That makes verse 22 possible. To put off your old self. Which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul says, take off the old clothes. Kick them out. Kick out the old you that is no longer who you are. Stop thinking like the old man. But here's the key. You can't do verse 22 without verse 21. We cannot live lives and never will be changed without Jesus, that he is the agent of all the change. And that's what he hopes that they understand. That after you meet Jesus, something changes. There's now this new person. But don't you realize that even after you meet Jesus, isn't the struggle still real? And we still have these tendencies towards this old self. And for me, it's this shirt. This is one of my favorite shirts. It's got some significant meaning. Uh, one, uh, it was back in my, my running days. Uh, it was the, the hottest half in uh, Dallas in August to run a half marathon. And I actually ran the, my, my personal best uh, that day. Uh, and I've worn it often, as you can tell. It's got holes. It's got stains. It's got every color of paint in our house on it. And I still wear it all the time. Why? Because it's so comfortable. I love it. I'll put it on and we're going to go somewhere and Marla will just look at me like, please tell me you're not wearing that. Not even to Brookshire's. <laughs> but it happens. It's because it is absolutely one of my favorite shirts. And it has some significant meaning to it. It's got some great memories. Still fits kind of well. It's cool. It breathes well. It's got some stains. So I don't have to really worry about messing it up all that much more. But we like this because the old clothes are comfortable. They're familiar. And they even might even have some great memories. 
but we like the old clothes. That's where we, we want to be. That is where we are most comfortable and most familiar. But then this last week, I was rereading the story of Lazarus. Because when we are born again at salvation, there's this process of, that we go through of realizing now who we are. We've often said it's becoming how we're beheld. It's becoming how God actually now sees us. But we still want to dress like the old man. We still like the old clothes. So you remember in John chapter 11, here you have Lazarus. He's met Jesus. He dies believing in Jesus. Jesus comes a little bit late by their standards, and he resurrects Lazarus back from the dead. But in verse 43, it reads that when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. But notice, his hands and his feet bound with linen cloths, his face wrapped with a cloth. That Lazarus has been brought back to the dead, but he is still covered in those grave clothes. And you notice what Jesus then says. Unbind him and let him go. He's saying, Lazarus, get those grave clothes off of him. That is no longer who he is. The old man... He only knows futility, no purpose, meaningless, always leads to death. But even as believers, we still struggle with those old self, those old clothes. So notice how you put off the old self in verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The way we put on the new clothes is by being renewed in the spirit of our minds. That's where it begins. Listen to how Warren Wiersbe describes it. He says, conversion is a crisis. And that's really what it is. It's where these two worlds are now colliding that leads to a process that through Christ once and for all we have been given a new position in his new creation but day by day we must by faith appropriate what he has given us understand it more appreciate it more the word of God renews the mind as we surrender our all to him Meaning, if we do not have God in our minds, then we will not have him in our actions. So Paul then describes this new us in action. Look what this new life looks like. A person that has taken off the old, the grave clothes, and put on new ones. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The new us speaks truth. But notice the reason not to lie. It isn't so you won't really get in trouble. 
He says, the reason you don't lie, the reason you speak truth is because we are members one of another, that we belong to each other, that our words affect other people, that lies that we think are protecting us, they're only hurting other people because lies tear down trust that has been built. And we can't be members one of another without trust. But then he uses anger in verse 26. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So meaning you can be angry and not sin, but you can also be angry and sin. It's what we do with that anger that matters. But notice once again the reason not to sin in our anger. That it removes the opportunity for the devil. That he is just waiting for you and I to get angry. He's just waiting for the opportunity. And he can't wait for that moment to get here. You know the number two place I see this the most? Kids sports. And that's where you see it. I mean you see people and you watch uh, their, their reputation or their witness be destroyed of people getting angry and sinning in the anger. But you know the number one place? It's in our homes. But then he uses stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so they may have something to share with anyone in need. So he says, don't take advantage of what others are doing. Don't take advantage of their hard work. Do not steal. But notice the reason not to steal, to work hard so that you can help others. It's weird to work hard so that we can be more generous. That we're not working hard to accumulate more and more for ourselves. We are working hard so that we can be more generous with other people. Just like Calvin shared. Then in verse 29, another one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do we realize that our words are the most powerful resource that we have? That our words can be used for good or evil. And Paul says, if you're about to say something that it isn't going to build someone else up, you chew those words up and swallow them. But notice the reason we are to be careful with our own words. Our words can actually give grace to others. That our words can either breathe life or death into a person. But then one last one, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So this word grieve, it means to cause pain or sorrow or for them to be troubled. So do you have that moment in your life where you realize that you've caused pain or sorrow in someone's life that you loved? Do you remember that? look of sorrow on their face or remember that troubled sound in their voice. 
let us not forget that the third person of the Trinity is actually a person that can be grieved just like someone that you love. And then Paul is going to throw in a heap of examples in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. That are the old clothes along with malice. But then he describes the new clothes to put on. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. So this morning I will close by saying this. Hopefully, I hope you have met Jesus. I hope you've met the one that can take the old person and make him new and give them eternal life. But if you have, I know this struggle that we face is real. That we like the old clothes. Man, they are comfortable. They are familiar. But that is not the life that God wants for us. And if we want God in our actions, we have to have him in our minds. And if we do not have him in our minds, we will never have him in our actions. The battle begins with what we are always focusing on. What we are setting our minds on. And Paul will talk about that a little bit later. So here's the encouragement. Here's the challenge. The next time you're faced with a decision or say an opportunity that could be callous or greedy or impurity, lying, anger, stealing, words that are only going to breathe death, anything that would breathe or grieve the Holy Spirit, that we would stop and ask, man, is this an old man? Is this an old clothes thing? Is this something that would be wrapped up? Is this me putting back on the grave clothes? Or in this, how can I choose the new man, the new person? But then know this, church, that when you fail, and you will, that we will once again look back to Jesus as our only hope knowing that our salvation, our security before God as his children is not based on our obedience, but only in the obedience of Christ. So I pray you'll take this with you this morning. If we don't have God in our minds, then we will not have him in our actions. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.